Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's good, Internet? It is Monday, February 12th, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 134, coming to you not live, but absolutely in charge. From Brooklyn, New York, Lobby One. You already know what it is. It's late in the day. We're recording way later than we normally do. So I, I have not had a sandwich yet. I'm supposed to get a bon me, but it has not shown up yet, which means I have no energy. So I'm trying to just invent some energy. I'm trying to find extra energy inside of me to bring forward into the world. I, but I could use some more. I could use some more from you, Danielle, Riendo. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I hear it's your I, birthday soon. It's my birthday tomorrow. Shout outs to Danielle. Shout outs to birthdays. Really also excited. joining us, Rob Zach. Rob's Zachary. got his hands up. Rob's hands are up. Do you have something to say, Rob? I'm calling on you, no, I'm just, Mr. I'm Zachney. just sending you your, my energy. Oh, yep. thank you. You're sending yes. me your energy it's for the really spirit, nice. Rob. There's also, like, some really good God rays going on there with are. the background here. Rob yeah, Zachney coming to us live from Far Cry 2. <laughs> the, the, the rays are piercing through that giant palm in the background. Oh, my God. It's a giant fucking palm. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> the thing is, like, it isn't supposed to be this big, but, like, there was an Ikea, and they just they just had... A, a palm tree that was supposed to be a tiny little decorative palm tree. But if you just like leave one in an Ikea and nobody ever buys it, it turns into a bigger and bigger palm tree. And my partner went to the Ikea and like Charlie Brown fell in love with this fucking palm tree. And so Wait, now what's I have, Charlie Brown fell in love. I, like the little, like the sad little Christmas tree. Oh, like yeah, suddenly okay. she was like, I have to bring this thing home and, and, and care for it. So, now there's like seven feet of palm tree in my in my living room, um, which it's, it's is unique. a questionable choice. It's a it is unique. I agree, Patrick. What's your favorite unique your favorite unique uh, plant? <laughs> I don't. I'm be honest. I haven't given that one a whole lot of thought. Not, I'm putting you I, like, on the I'm spot. Not, I'm not <laughs> big on plant. plants one way or the other. I mean, not Patrick Klepek, not big on plants. I think flowers are kind of bullshit, and you got to put a lot of work into them, and they die in a week. So. Like, just get fake ones. Like, fake candles. We do, we invested in fake candles in our house. Mm. You know what? Can't fucking tell the difference between fake candles and real candles. It just doesn't smell. And you know what? All I do is click a button. Yo, there's candles. Let there be candles. Wait, None of that, like, wax what bullshit. What are you talking about? Fake candles, you just light them up. It's like the fake torch things that they have in restaurants. Yeah, that's, that's the part where I feel I could tell the difference, actually, between a fake and a real candle. I like the ones that make noise. Those are fun. Do you know the ones I'm talking yeah. about? Those noisemaker candles? They got no? like wooden wicks, and so they crackle and pop. They have like, yeah, it's a nice energy. It's a you nice energy. energy. I need one. It sounds I need... like a good way to light my house on fire. <laughs> too. That's why I don't own a house. I, I um, like these things that crackle and pop as I burn them. <laughs> Welcome to Waypoint, your number one stop for arson. Uh, speaking oh. of things that 
Uh-huh. No, yeah, keep yeah, I'm going to find yeah, this. Let I'm going to find this segue. Find mm-hmm. All right. Crackle? Thinking of th- speaking of things that crackle and pop. You know the you know what else crackles and pops? The sound of a golf ball yeah. hitting the the tin the bottom of a tin cup at like a mini golf crackle course. Crackle and pop. We're talking right about there. tin cup. We're talking about the movie Tin Cup. Classic from the late 90s. <laughs> Classic great movie. Kevin Costner. Welcome to our Tin Cup spoiler cast. <laughs> uh, Danielle, you were about to say right before we started that you had gone mini golfing and that there was a story involved. I, I was like, wait, you have to tell me this, but only in front of a microphone. Yes, absolutely. I went to the Sleep No More of mini golf this weekend <laughs> right here in New York City in Red Hook in Brooklyn next wow. to the Ikea. Talking about Ikea, you know, we're wrapping it all in. Mm-hmm. It is an immersive sim mini golf that has a storyline. If you buy $5 for the story tokens, you get to go into this little curtain area where a really fake pirate guy tells you about how his ship, the paper towel, yes, it's called the paper towel, and there's a bounty a joke in it too, and he keeps making oh, bounty jokes. I got it's you. amazing. Uh, it tells like you. an actor? It's like an act. It's What's like a video screen with a bad actor on it. Not even a real actor. They couldn't no, even get a real, even fake a real pirate. Actor. No, it's amazing. Do you it's have to so go? Good. Is the curtained area every hole? Like, is there like you go to a hole and then there's a booth, like a story booth that you have to walk into and like? <laughs> there's a story booth at the beginning, uh-huh. and that's where it sets the scene. What's there's the scene? an immersive. Can you spoil so us? You're, you're on a ship. It's called the paper towel, the paper towel yeah. and it's sunk, and there's treasure. It's all you need to know. And then there's also like an arch nemesis who's like this cartoon lady. A little bit Carmen Sandiego there, but okay. it's, her name's not Carmen Sandiego. She is on a subway called the Footlong. Yeah. There's, there's like, corporate jokes all over this uh, thing. It's amazing. So people, that's the people, curtain People say that games try too hard to put story into them. So <laughs> oh, that mini golf is actually the one we should have been concerned about all along. <laughs> all Where is Ian Bogos writing this fucking Atlantic essay about mini golf narrative storytelling? Mini golf is better without characters. I can characters. only assume he just hasn't gone here yet because this clearly is, like, his next Come on, Atlantic. Columns. Figure <laughs> it out. Atlantic, get on this. Now, that's the first part. That's the first little okay, room. The and then there are like six or seven story bits that uh-huh. if you bought the $5 in story tokens, certain things like light up. And then there's a certain, there's a little sequence in a submarine where you push a bunch of buttons and the, okay, the submarine lady talks. Yes. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> is the rest of the golf course like tied into this pirate theme? Like Sorta. if. Okay, because the question I had is if I didn't, if I didn't Good. spend the, the five extra answer. bucks to go into these narrative booths uh am i still going to feel like oh this is an interesting bizarrely pirate themed uh mini golf like park yeah it goes Uh, through several themes uh there's like an underwater area that's very tied in and then you start going to like a gold mine area where the story token just makes a bomb explode that's it there's no like dialogue there's no goal. There's just Why'd a the bomb. bomb go off? There's just a bomb. I so don't it's know. it's like experimental narrative. Like I said, this is the sleep no more. Just, There's a lot like of layers. It's like a season pass for this mini golf experience. Yeah. It's incredible. So you get different things. Sometimes you get a story expansion, and sometimes you get some costume DLC, yep. and sometimes a bomb blows up. There's <laughs> a bomb blows Real up. Real actual feature. Yeah. They, there's a sign in the, in the sort of gold mine area. There is a sign that tells you that the like boots and you know minor accessories that are littering the area. Uh, sorry, do you mean minor accessories like like non-major? M-I-N-E-R. Okay, but not oh, so people who like mine. People who mine. Okay, minor. Got you. Minor boots and pickaxes and such yeah. are real accessories that have been recycled because and it's called shipwrecked golf. I'll just tell you what it is so you can go there if you want shipwrecked mini golf. Shipwreck Mini Golf cares and recycles. There is a sign that says Shipwreck Mini, mini golf, golf cares okay, and well, recycles. That's I'm glad that someone does. It's really recycled good. from what? Recycled Keep from real miners. miners. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's really fun. I can get a Groupon, it looks like. I yeah, can, I think we, we did that. And this. you get pizza with the Groupon, so. Oh, like like traditional well, pirate pizza. pizza. A pirate pizza? It wasn't bad. Sorry, I was playing. They're... Yeah, I was, <laughs> what are you doing it's over there? The place. It's amazing. Oh, yeah, play the trailer. Boost yeah, that volume. Yeah, there it is. I wonder if the guy is in there, the actor, the pirate actor. Is there video? Oh, and that lady is the, um, she's the villain. She's the villainess of the she piece. She lives in Williamsburg. Of I know she her. does. She works in this building. <laughs> of course she does. That's that's <laughs> Natalie. Don't you go to school with I her? Think I dated this girl. <laughs> like, <laughs> clearly, were you there on a date with this woman from Definitely. the subway that was I, trying to I steal? I beat her really badly at mini golf. Wow. That's what happened. So that's what you've been playing. That's what I've been doing. I, American Laser Games presents <laughs> mini golf. God, if only. Say, uh, uh, order food and drinks at our front counter. Sailing can make you hungry. Enjoy some some food from our menu, or grab a quick snack snack to quote wet your appetite before yes! you begin your adventure. There's also an 80s arcade, which is set up uh, in, in such theme. a fashion. In theme. There are, like, boxes mm-hmm. strewn about and mm-hmm. straw, which I guess is a very piratey thing to put around uh, your 80s arcade games to make it look piratey. Um, I love this place. Using their I expert- mean, that's the... Is it good? <laughs> this is amazing. actually... They have, a, they have, like, a mission statement. They do. Welcome to Shipwrecked Miniature Golf, a theatrical indoor 18-hole miniature golf experience like no other. Shipwrecked is a family-owned and operated business created by two best friends who met in college and moved to New York City to pursue careers in theater. After starting their own f- after starting their own families, they saw a need for a unique and interactive business in Brooklyn. Using Just their- two friends who were fed up with the price of theater tickets and mini golf, is- and they started their own narrative mini golf company. Using their expertise from working on Broadway, they moved forward on an idea they had tossed around for the past 16 years, and Shipwrecked was born. So leave your troubles behind and embark on an adventure led by our own pirate captain as he plots the course for your trip. Theatrical lighting and special effects will surround you as you play through the themed areas of our course, searching for an out-of-the-ordinary, quote-unquote, treasure. That's exactly what What was the treasure? Did you get anything? The treasure was beating my girlfriend really badly at Minigolf. Yo. (laughs) Owned. All right, well, I'm glad you had a good time. It was really fun. I'm glad they have a Pac-Man cabinet dressed up like it's like a crate. See, that's what I meant with the straw. Yeah. Yeah. Got you. Cool. It was extremely fun if you like really cheesy things, which I do. I truly love cheesy things. It was wonderful. I that had a great good. time, and I love the, the acting. I don't feel like I have anything to bring even close to that <laughs> to the show and tell today. Rob, Patrick, have, did you all go on any treasure cruises? Or no, nah, man, I was I was trying to figure out how reasonable it would be if I could actually just farm uh, monster hunter creatures during this the, the podcast recording. <laughs> I, I've dealt with I worse need, in podcast need, recording. I, I've done. I've been around that. I, I spent this, uh, this this weekend, so I uh, I was out of town, but in a position uh, where I brought my PS4 because I I knew I'd have like some downtime, but not the kind of downtime where I could like seriously commit to getting a whole lot done. So I thought like, well, I'll bring my PS4 with, and you know maybe I could like just like do some grinding. Like this would be an opportunity to do the sort of stuff that I don't want to do when like I have like main time to play a game, but that with time that otherwise is only like 40 minutes, I could squeeze something in. So I basically like kind of put the story on Monster Hunter on pause. And now I just want to fill out now that I've like committed to the hammer, at some point I'll go experiment with like some other weapons and stuff yeah. like that. But like I'm really, I'm really happy with the hammer. Every couple of hours, I'm still discovering new things with it. So it's like I'm, I'm still finding a lot of satisfaction with the actual depth of that 
uh, of that weapon. So at this point, what I want to do is like make sure that I can go into fights like feeling like really confident about what I've equipped. Like I use the poison weapons for like the first twenty five hours, and then in the last ten to fifteen, I've been slowly trying to kind of like oh I should get some other ones, and now I'm just like. Once you've already once you've collected like six of them, it's like yeah. well now I should just do the whole damn thing. <laughs> it's just like it's like I have like when I look and see like oh like I could go into I can only do like a when I'm looking at the strength chart or the weakness chart of the monsters, and it's like I've got nothing that does a three. Like why don't I have a sleep hammer? Right. It's like I don't know because I haven't spent the time. Go so, make a sleep hammer. So that's what I'm doing. Like I've I've probably gotten wow, a little the over half all of the, hammers. the way in. You're at like destiny level of like I have to kit myself out for every eventuality. Oh, I'm gonna just grind it out. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I cool. think like what, what my uh, open thread this week might be about is that I, it's been nice to find a new podcast game, which I think we've talked about. Yeah, um, Monster Hunter in that context before, where uh, I'm, I'm usually sort of uh, like. I'm not against grinding as a concept, but grinding and execution in most games I find to be tedious and not particularly uh, enthralling. But that's often because you're it's it's purely a time sink as opposed to there being anything sort of mechanically interesting about what you're doing during that grind. Right. And so, like, I think for a lot of people in Destiny, which is a game, you know, for whatever improvements happened in Destiny 2, was still a game that was still a lot about grinding. But, like, the basic, like... Left trigger, right trigger was still satisfying a lot of the time, even if you were doing repetitive actions. Um, and in Monster Hunter, I have found even when I'm just going and recapturing the same monster three times in a row, like I'll like what I've noticed is like okay, this time I'm going to try and figure out how I use this one particular attack that I never used with the hammer. Like I hadn't figured out how to do like so with the hammer, you have this charging variable, and so if you hold. Uh, a charge, then you can change what your default attack is. And there are various stages to that. And I never used the second stage one, which is where he kind of dashes forward and hits up. Right. And it turns out that it's like, extremely useful for, like, an Anginath, like the T-Rex the uh, enemy that has its head hovering slightly above the ground. So right. you can't actually get it on a left-to-right one, and doing the up-to-down is extremely slow. But if you do the charge, it's a very quick up-to-down. It's like, oh, right, now that completely changes how I'm going to approach different uh, combat scenario. So in the actual grind, I'm finding depth in the weapon that I've sort of it's, like chosen as my main. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's 100. The game has its hooks in me, and like it's actually been nice. The games are as kind of slow as they are right now because I don't feel this like immediate temptation or or even need through like uh, what I just need to do professionally to go do something else. Like right. I just am playing more Monster Hunter and. Uh, I'm, I'm finding deeply it's, satisfying. It's so funny far. we've we've had conversations in the past couple of weeks about like what makes a game or a or a piece of media like breach through and like become the big talking point. I know on on uh, Idle Weekend, Rob and, and Danielle, you all talked about this with relation to Bloodborne. Like our whole community suddenly, everyone was playing Bloodborne. Like we had everybody who the people who wrote for us, people who <laughs> on the staff, Natalie is playing Bloodborne yeah. again, and it seemed to like pierced through. Um, and we didn't talk about that in terms of Monster Hunter because it was a new release, so it seemed like, oh, of course, it's a new game, and that means that it can get its hooks into people. But, like, I think it's actually interesting to think about even Monster Hunter in that way because plenty of new good games come out and don't find audiences. Um, and and I think Monster Hunter is really great. I don't know that it's better than this game or that game that that has come out over the last year or two um, that has a similar amount of depth. You know what I mean? I'm sure if we like if we put our heads together, we would come up with like five things that were you know yeah pretty good, but maybe didn't find the same huge buy-in given their amount of depth. And it's interesting to see that just like oh yeah, 
there's space for it right now. They found that right delivery moment where yeah. like people who traditionally would have to move on to something else or would would return to like I think Destiny Two not being good and in, in the in not strong Destiny Two oh, not there was having a face. the I know I saw a face. Destiny Two not having the legs that Destiny One had with that audience. There's a lot of fall off. A lot of people yeah. are like not like hardcore fan. I'm sure yes. we all know a lot of and some of you know, Austin. You played a lot of, of Destiny far more than I, I did than I did. Like all the people I know that can. Continued on that uh, that bicycle of destiny yeah. uh, have basically fallen off. A lot of them have gone to Monster Hunter. A lot of them have just gone on to different things. And I do think there was a, was a confluence of yeah, Dest- like games like Destiny, which like are you know these games as a service. Like uh, a lot of people dropped off, and Monster Hunter came at a time when there's just not that much else out. And because it seemed like like there was a big pitch of like hey. You know, this is a good one. This is a good beginner one. I think there were a lot of people that just said, like, kind of held their nose and went, okay, like, I'm going to give this a go. And that was definitely me. I did not go into it thinking it was going to get it. To, I, I, I figured I could come out of it going, at the very least, oh, I get it now. Yeah. But now it's gone beyond that, where it's just like, no, like, I'm, this is just what I want to spend my time with. And it's also interesting. I don't know if this will continue to be a tradition for Capcom, but um, they have uh, now twice in a row... Uh, done uh, hugely important like company-defining releases at the end of January in which they have announced the game um, just at the E3 prior. This oh. happened for Resident Evil 7. Yeah. It was announced, huh. revealed, and then uh, came out the following January. Uh, and Monster Hunter World was announced, revealed, and came out the following January. And like they either... Uh, I'm not sure if it's purposeful or it's delayed. Like, I don't know what the, what's happening or if they're just saying in sort of a – this happens in Hollywood a lot where folks just kind of, like, stake out a date far in advance and, like, places just kind of stay away from it. Right. Um, I wonder if Capcom is just sort of saying, like, hey, we're finding a lot of traction in just sort of, like – because if Monster Hunter came out in, like, late October of last year, like, yeah. sorry, like, I wouldn't have given it the time of day, like, that I, I wouldn't have done this and – like it coming out in late January means that I think a lot more people have been able to give it the time of day that it might not otherwise. That's one of those things that makes our jobs really weird is that like <laughs> if this was a film, you would have made time for it. It would have been a two-hour, let's say a three-hour film. It would have been, oh, it's a very challenging movie. You know, it has its, it's – Got to see it twice. Got to see it twice you know? to really wrap your head around it. It's three hours long. But you would still have made the time for it because you would have been able right. to. But like – when there's a busy gaming season, like it push it pushes us into our biases so strong, and like I like, I generally think that that's okay as long as you own up to it and say like here is why I'm playing the things I'm playing and like my interests are my interests and like I want to cover the stuff that that really moves me and blah blah blah. But like it's just one of those it's one of those really instructive in- instances that says like. Hey, here's a thing that you now really like that you would not have known you would have liked that you would not have given the time of day to that that it's frustrating in a weird way. It's like I wish I, w- I wish we could just jump over that twenty hour hump to know right. if you would like the thing and like it, you can't. You got to put in the time to do it. You have to do it. But it's it's just nice. Like now I have like a like it's exciting to have like a whole new series. Like I'm, I'm there's I, I'm probably very, at this point I've played like forty hours of Monster Hunter World. Like I can easily see myself like pushing a hundred on it mm-hmm. by by the end of it. Um, and but it's exciting to be like already be like I'm excited for whatever the sequel is right. not because like I want to get to it but just like it's cool to have a new track of game that like when I see a logo come up I'm gonna go oh shit like, right. I'm excited <laughs> to play this game like it's it's exciting because you do get into your, you get into your lanes yeah. and it's exciting to have a new lane and then on top of that the 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 amount of time and effort I put into learning this means essentially I'll have 
I'll have uh, uh, scratched off 20 hours of like, what? Yeah, when I play dude. whatever the next one is, like the next one I play, I'll just be able to jump in and be like, here, I know what I want out of this game. I'm going to just jump in and start doing it. And at that point, you're just learning the nuances of the new thing as opposed to like, I don't know what, you know, what's going on here. And like, that's super yeah, exciting. Yeah, I think too. That about that a lot, Danielle, with immersive sims. Like, think yeah. about how quick you were able to take to the mini golf course because like you have all those exactly. hours of immersive sims. Playing so much prey that mini golf is really, but, you know. But I do think about like, oh, one of the reasons why it's you're you're able to engage with prey so quick, so quickly and easily or like engage with, not even easily quickly, but with its depth. Yeah. Uh, is like, oh, a fascination with and a knowledge of that space. And then Rob, like, so you've been playing Civ Six, and, and we should talk about Rise and Fall, which is the new expansion. But, like, strategy games are this to a, to a huge degree because you not only are coming into any specific strategy game with knowledge of its history and series and, and, and like, even a, a specific developer, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're getting when you're getting a Firaxis game versus a Paradox game versus a, a Matrix game or whatever. Like, to some degree, there's a shared language of UI and, and certain sorts of, like, um, uh, focuses and stuff like that. But also, like, inside, especially inside of a series, like a Civ, like, okay, here are the key things that I don't... They can just chop those right off the top of becoming acquainted with the game and instead can start to become acquainted with whatever the new thing is bringing. So tell me about... The game instead of the genre. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Or like, and, and in some cases, in strategy, there are so many subgenres mm-hmm. that are like... It's, it's just a very complicated space. But <laughs> tell me about Rise and Fall, Civ Six. This is the new expansion that's out now or out soon? Yeah. Um, it's, it's out now. Okay. Um, and I'm going to have to collect my thoughts a little bit because um, I'm still trying to figure out if that was an actual segue or whether it was just the form of a segue uh-huh. and then a new topic. It's both. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I'm like racking my brain. I'm like, was that re- like a brilliant segue that I didn't see? Yeah, or that's just like veteran podcast hosting where you're like, this sounds related. <laughs> it's both. Um, I think it was related. I know you've been playing it. He so the kick yeah. behind the jab is what he did. Yeah, okay. thank you. Yeah. Um, no, so – to to your point though, what you're talking about like uh, development and change w- within a series, I think Civilization VI um, was already in kind of a strange place mm. in reference to the rest of the Civilization franchise, and then Rise and Fall uh, makes things even weirder for people who like maybe have kind of come in and out of civs over the years what is the the general distinguishing character of civ 6 versus four or five or three or two or the first oh one? man okay very broad um, picture here i know I, yeah <laughs> okay uh so i would say but to to okay so civilizations one through four yeah had a great deal of consistency and carryover between them in terms of the language they employed the way they worked uh, in terms of like combat, the way you built your civilization, you build like big uh, stacks of things and you crush them, right? You throw like yeah, a thousand, that was the, the yeah. stacks of doom era is what they were called. You could uh, stack several units into one square and then you could move them all at once. Right. And in late game wars, it was just endless stacks being thrown at each other until math won out, basically. Um, so Civilization Four was kind of the end of the line for that style of design, and it would be. I don't want to completely flatten the differences between those first four games, but sure. Civilization Four still felt consistent with a lot of them. Civilization Five broke a lot of those traditions. Um, it basically eliminated the stacks of doom and became a much more, um, in some ways, 
board gamey civilization, it mm. became very like focused on endgame from the start. And this is one of the complaints about the game, which was that Civilization V was kind of a um expert mode civ in some ways. Like you really huh. needed to know everything you were going to encounter um from the moment you started your game. And then you really needed to as well as you possibly could stay on script uh, for the entire game. So which not is really a game demanding. Of, right. It's not a game about like um like dipping your toes in various things. You're like, oh actually I want to try some cultural stuff here. Oh now I want to try some stuff in economy. Now I want to be a little bit of a maybe for this next like the hundred years of play or whatever, I'm gonna be military focused. You couldn't really do that. Right, because if you didn't sort of stay on the power curve for each of those strategies, you fell off so fast that you would never be able to arrive at the victory conditions mm-hmm. in the end game. Gotcha. Um, the other thing is they imposed a lot of penalties for overexpansion. Uh, so, like, if you wanted to do a cultural victory, for instance, if you built a bunch of cities, you basically couldn't do that. So you couldn't explore and, like, cover the world in more of your cities. You really had to, again, from the first, like, you know, opening stages of the game, say, I'm committed to culture, and here are the two or three cities I'm going to build, gotcha. and that's it. Civilization VI... Um, retains the form of Civilization V. Like, superficially, they look a lot alike. But it actually becomes very much about um, contingent factors, I guess is the way I'd put it. Like, in most Civilization games, a city is a city is a city. You can build... You just keep putting buildings into those cities, and they live in the city, and they change the stats for the city. The city is a one-tile like unit that collects all those stats. Right. So it's like, it's like a, if the map of the world in Civilization is a board, previously cities were one spot on the map. Right. Civilization Six came along and was like, eh, cities actually need to expand. Right. They need to have districts. And actually, it doesn't make sense that you can like build the pyramids in the jungle, that's not where pyramids go. They not, have to go in the desert. Well, Egyptian pyramids, um, anyway. Like yeah. that's that specific. I get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, sorry, the Great Pyramids. Whatever. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, uh, I just the, read a story recently about how archaeologists discovered... Oh, the Maya? The fucking yeah. Mayan shit is incredible with using lasers. They discovered, like, tons of new villages and, like, a, a huge, expansive incredible. city. Yeah. We, our it's focus cool on history is wild. Anyway, sorry. Yes, the Great Pyramids, desert. Got it. Yeah, so, but all, all these various wonders, all these different building types suddenly become uh, very uh, geographically focus. They right. become dependent on geography, you which means... You need a waterway for a fishery. You need to have, like, literally yeah. a, a block of a certain type of stone to build a certain sort of masonry or whatever, or, or to build the, the hanging gardens, you need to have a certain sort of uh, uh, location... I mean, river access, river, for right, instance. exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so what that changes th- – how that changes things is suddenly uh, the map becomes a much more interesting place because yeah. you're not just looking for good base stats and then you build whatever there. Suddenly, like, you're going along and you see really fertile, like, riverlands bordering a desert. And you get really excited because you're like, I can build a bunch of desert buildings there, and but also, like, I'll still have all this farmable land. Right. This is how you get Cairo, right? Like, this is how you get the 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 Nile River Basin or whatever, right? Which is like, oh wow, like this is a unique character 
to a city you know, instead of just like this is a min-maxed city. This feels right. like it has a certain real like placeness, a real there-ness that reflects the conditions that it grew up in or that it grew up in as a person. It's a little it baby city, a little baby, a little baby city, village turned into – Right, exactly. It has some growing pains and then, and then it's an old city. You know? <laughs> and, and it still you know, it has all the wounds but it has a lot of character too. Yeah. Anyway. So where the, but where this gets really wild is that – if you think about it, you're not going to see, like, every game, you're going to be seeing these different combinations of geography. And there's also adjacency. Right, because there isn't, that, for people who haven't played Civ, play. real quick, the maps aren't just, it's not just Earth. There's, like, randomly generated maps that you can have a bunch of different sliders to produce various effects, like how many islands you want, how, you know, how close are our rivers together, shit like that. I don't know if that's a specific one, but stuff like yeah. that generally. Um, cool. So you'll be seeing different, la- like, map layouts each time. And you have to be able to interpret all of that each game in order to make the best decisions to know, like in order to like sort of plan for the future, you kind of need to know how these geographic elements are going to come into play, how the adjacencies are going to work, how wonder bonuses are going to work and how you're going to basically make the most effective and efficient cities out of all these variable elements um, so still you know, expertise as you go. But this is like expertise about reading a map versus expertise about memorizing a tree, like memorizing, memorizing a formula or something. Or is it still both? That's the it's both. Okay. They've made it much more complicated. Like you still you still need to know what the wonders do. You right. still need. And, and they've also changed right. that up a lot. So like there was a lot of consistency or at least you always sort of had a sense of like what the great library was going to do in the first mm. like four games. Mm-hmm. In this one, they've started to, like, the wonders have effects that feel a little bit different than they have in the past. It's hard for me to put my finger on, but, like, it no longer feels like past experience with Civs is as much of a useful guide mm-hmm. in this one. Like, you really have, like, I am sort of re- relearning Civ in a way I haven't had to learn Civ basically since, like, Civ 2. Right. Uh, which is really exciting. But Civilization Six is not caught on the way Civ Five did. Right. And I think one of the reasons for that is because it kind of takes all your previous like knowledge and what you've sort of spent the series sort of mastering. And it's like, well, that's worthless now, and shreds <laughs> it. And the thing is, until you've been through a few games and you start to learn these new rules and these new dynamics, it's a really difficult game to parse and navigate. It's hard to make good decisions in this new civilization uh, without having internalized all these different factors and played with them a bunch of times. Right. This is the Monster Hunter thing again, basically, except what if next time Monster Hunter threw out the control scheme and started – went back to the, the PS2 control scheme where all the attacks were on the right stick or whatever. Um, which but, Wait, is that true? Yo, dude, Yeah. What? Whoa. Yeah, that's it's Austin. Did you Austin, not... we got to play that. We oh got to play that. The OG Monster. Hunter. I, I want to figure out how to play it real bad because, yes, all of the what? all of the yeah. Look at Monster Hunter One what? controls at some point. They're wild. Anyway, okay, it's like sure. it's like Sorry. that because ex- uh-huh. except that you've played you know hundreds of hours of Civ before and now you have to start fresh. And then on top of that, Rise and Fall is then more Rise and Fall comes along and adds um, a lot more. Rise and Fall is like civilization to some extent dreaming of being a paradox game in oh, some weird. ways. Or so like, like how many people can I get in, can I infect with syphilis? How many demons are possessing okay. my not, mm, no, not quite not, like that. Okay. No, it's so it's not it's not trying to be Crusader Kings, but maybe it's more like EU four. 
Gotcha. Uh, and the one of the big dynamics it's introducing is um, Dark Ages and Golden Ages. Okay. Uh, this so, actually sounds a lot like... We can continue real quick, but a lot of what you're describing sounds a lot like Endless Legend to me in terms of districting and like... Oh, yep. And like uh, these like Golden Ages versus kind of Dark Ages stuff. Is that a fair comparison? And also like tactical uh, combat and like the tiles all meaning something. Okay. That's an extremely fair comparison. Should, like, should. it was striking how quickly Civ was like, we got districts now. <laughs> okay. Uh, within, Good. like, nine months of Endless Legend God. coming out. Uh, so this is 100% like the Civ that was, uh, sort of went to school gotcha. on Endless Legend. Um, but with the, with the Golden Ages and the Dark Ages, uh, in each era, and it sort of proceeds according to the classic uh, epochs that, uh, the Civ series is always traded in. It's uh-huh. so classical, ancient, modern, whatever. Um, you have certain events that happen. Uh, so if you build a wonder, you get like plus three era points or something. Okay. You accrue enough of them in your era, you get a golden age. Okay. And you get like That's cool. bonuses throughout the next era. How many go- How many golden era points do you think uh, America in 2018 has mm. racked up? <laughs> well, so let's, that, that brings us to the Dark Age <laughs> oh, okay. uh, concept. <laughs> Uh, and the Dark Age concept is you came in, like, you, you were basically running on empty. You didn't do much with the previous era. You're yeah. in a new era, and you're playing from behind, and you got a lot of penalties uh, against you. And there's going to be a lot of things that just, like, make everything a little bit slower and harder and dumber huh. uh, than they were in huh. the in the previous era. So it's no longer neutral. It's like you're a little bit, like, you know, you're, you're running with weights uh, in in some ways. Yeah, sounds about no. right. Yeah, it sounds familiar to me. Um, <laughs> can't say that that sounds great, but also, yeah, I live it. Okay. Sounds like life, yeah. Yeah, and then the other dynamic is they want to have different uh, alliance types. So that, like, alliances uh, in the past have been very... I mean, starting with Civ Five, diplomacy and Civ just started becoming very um, boring in some ways. Like, right. there wasn't much interaction that you could have with the AI leaders. Yeah, it's a lot of, like... You'll join my alliance if you send me X number of research or uh, whatever, like wheat barrels. Right. And a lot of times, why would you even want that? Because it was like, uh, okay, I guess, like, unless I'm worried about somebody invading me, I don't need an ally, really. And I can always create, like, a research agreement with somebody else, which follows different rules. Now you have different alliances for different types of relationships. So you can have, like, a cultural alliance uh, where each each side of the alliance will start getting, like, base level culture bonuses each turn right uh as long as the alliance is in effect and the longer the alliance endures the more the alliance levels up and becomes increasingly powerful so there's incentive to have like long-term buddies in the game that like oh our people have been sort of united for the, a thousand right, years right yeah, like for like if you if you're like you have your whole nation built next to a city state and you've been trading stuff. You you're in the age of cars, but you y'all have been friends since you've been trading wool back and forth. Like when you were wheat buddies. When you were wheat yeah, buddies, back yeah, in the day. yeah. yeah. Uh, the age of my wheat buddies. <laughs> my good old um, wheat buddies. You, uh, <laughs> Patrick's making a bad face. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I actually think that makes a lot more sense. Like. Does the what like what is the degree of interaction between those now? Like besides just you get more buffs, because like if that's just like they'll give me a better trade deal and I don't have to really care about it, but the number is higher. That doesn't really communicate much about them as like a culture or people, you know? Yeah. Um. 
And that's why I'm not sure it's a totally successful mechanic. Okay, gotcha. Like, so sometimes your allies will sort of bring things to a close because for whatever reason they've you've kind of like they feel you've you've run your course mm-hmm. um, and they no longer need you. Um, the more like you can only have one kind of agreement uh, at a time, so you can't have like multiple science uh, allies, for instance. So you have to pick like who's going to be my science buddy. Uh, you probably don't want that person to be, uh, you know, let's see, like, uh, Montezuma is probably not a great science buddy because like, he's probably going to be so expansionistic that he's not really investing a ton in like tech development. Right. Uh, he's all about planting new, new towns. He's a great economic partner because he has tons of resources, tons of cities he can trade with, but like not for science. Korea has great science. So in general, you want to like try to like have a science alliance with um you know with, with a country like Excuse Korea. Me? What was that one? A science alliance. Science alliance. A science alliance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Say that three times fast. Hashtag science alliance. That's <laughs> yeah. my new. Uh, op- that's my new non. It's not a nonprofit, uh-huh, but uh-huh. it is one of those corps that isn't that doesn't need to make profit. Like it. It's don't we'll take evil. your money. It's a bullshit PAC. Right. Yeah, it's a pack. It's definitely my my, yeah. my new STEM pack. You're going to start selling flamethrowers? You know, one thing at a time. We like to call them <laughs> flame movers. Um, oh. They move flames around. Yeah. We don't throw them. Throwing is dangerous, Patrick. We don't like to th- people kill people. Flamethrowers move flames. Move flames. Uh-huh. It's completely yeah, different right. entirely. That's right. Absolutely. I'm sorry to ruin your science alliance. I'm sorry to be <laughs> Montezuma yeah, here. <laughs> so the, the point is, though, it's like it ends up... It does add some new dimensions. Mm-hmm. It also feels a little bit fussy. Uh, and it also doesn't always feel like it's under great control because, like, sometimes it just feels like your ally or your ex-ally is just kind of making bizarre moves for whatever reason to sort of terminate the alliance. Yes. That, and <laughs> Sounds then, like, like my turns, ex is too. Shit. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and then two turns later, they're like, let's get back together. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And let's get... But you're like, you've reset the relationship to level one. <laughs> right. Like, what are you doing? Well, like, we had all we, this history. I already yeah. moved my toothbrush back to my place. We used to be wheat buddies. Remember when we were wheat buddies? You can't go back to being wheat God. buddies. And Good so, and then with the eras thing, it can also feel a little bit like the way you get era points just kind of happens to you. Like it's somewhat mm. under control, but like also it feels like there's an, sort of inherent momentum to the way things go with each each period. Right. That it doesn't feel. Like it's happening to you. You're not like working towards it. Yeah, like you can you can sort of you can you can influence the direction uh, that things are going, but it doesn't feel like you can exactly steer it the way you can other elements of civilization. Is that like a bad thing though? Because I, I kind of like the notion. So the comparison I was making to um, uh, Endless Legend before is that it has like a weather system where like it has these winters that come and slow everything down mm-hmm. and are like. They make it hard to move. They reduce your economic gains. Everyone's just kind of stuck in place. Um, and the strength of that is that you don't control it. And you can, like, anticipate that it's coming. But, like, I can't stave off the winter. Um, and I kind of like the notion of a strategy game. Because it's why, like, Paradox games are just, like, sometimes the, the you know, the, the, uh, the golden horde comes from the east and, like, Sometimes the plague spreads spreads through my towns, and like I don't have control of that. I can I can prep for it because I know it might be coming, but like it's gonna fucking hit me. And I like that notion of things I can only limitedly push and not necessarily 
direct towards my benefit, you know? But I guess that the thing is, like, Civ is a game about maxing uh, out your, p- mm. your potential, right? But there's the thing. Civ as a franchise, based on previous experience, is about that. Right. But we always say, like, uh, we, want a, we want a series to change things up. Yeah. We want it to be yeah. dynamic and, uh, like, stop making the same game. So with the last two games especially, Firaxis have been, like, fine. We'll do We're it. not going to make the same game. Yeah. And immediately and to an extent i'm still having this reaction is like well wait but now it doesn't feel like civ like i wanted sorry like i wanted my familiar like comfort food right and now you're introducing all this stuff now some of it does just i think kind of suck like there's also governors that you appoint and they provide bonuses to each city you can choose from a menu of seven they have limited little skill Mm -hmm. trees Um, it's the same seven all the time yeah, and the same skill tree. So it feels super bolted on. Yeah. And, like, it doesn't feel very interesting. That's like, I call, um, like, uh, I'm not going to diss this. I, I'm sure there's a lot of reason for why they arrive at that decision. But what I was going to say is, like, that does feel very, like you said, bolted on is a good, a good one. But also just, like, it feels like a very competent mod versus what I want to and what I love from big budget, like, major strategy game expansions. Like, when I think about XCOM's War of the Chosen, like, that stuff feels beyond what I'd seen from what is already a very competent and strong mod community. But, like, oh, wow, yeah, like, you know, light procedural generation around certain enemies. Um, this entire bonding system. Like, the bonding system maybe in War of the Chosen feels a little bolted on, but, like, so much of the rest of it, entire new factions feel, like, so comprehensive and complex that it feels like it's like coming from the resources of a big big studio whereas like yeah one of these seven people who each has one tree like yeah no that's that's a really good mod like that doesn't necessarily feel like the heart of it they, they do not feel like they even live in the same game yeah that's a shame. like it's it's seven randos that you're like oh this is the this is the educator and like two right. of his abilities have to do with like science and education and then the rest is like and also nuclear bombs mm. like <laughs> You know, okay, I guess, but like, yeah, he'll sure. educate you about <laughs> about who not to fuck with. Learn your lesson. Oh my god, that's right. When 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 the, when the educator is ready to present you with your diploma, oh. you know shit's about to get real. <laughs> it's a funny thing to write on the front of a bomb. Jeez, God, it's elaborate. Well, I'm 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 looking forward. You're going to write about this this week for us. I'm looking forward to your final takeaway thoughts. I'm looking forward to like editing them because it sounds like you have a lot of big ideas and i'm excited to help those <laughs> reach the, the masses as, as best the as we can educator without the bomb no i think rob zachney carries that bomb i think rob zachney that is bomb. Gonna, we'll figure out what type of governor rob zachney is oh, for sure uh we're gonna take a quick break we'll come right back and i'm gonna talk about something else that has maybe a uh, loose handle on controls and <laughs> bigger ambitions than it than it, it it's re- greater ambitions than its reach uh than it's grasp. Further further reach than grasp? Yes, that's yep. it. That's it. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Dynasty Warriors. Oh. Everyone loves it. Everyone's favorite series. Wait, what? Hey, everyone, hey, everyone on this call Whoa. loves Dynasty Warriors. Whoa. That's what I've heard. The, the adventures right. of Lubu. 
yeah. and uh, Cao Cao, everyone's favorite characters. Uh, this is a, a joke, but like mm-hmm. I know who all these characters are and what happened with them. Okay. So okay, so Dong Zhuo, okay. uh, who is this kind of like shitty corrupt bureaucrat, he's like, oh well, what I really need is like a an enforcer, and so he lures Liu Bu to him using Diao Chan, who is a really lovable lady who like can play an instrument and like can soothe the monstrous you know kind of warrior Liu Bu using her instrument. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Lubu kills a bunch of people. He has a horse. It's called Red Hair. <laughs> Lubu among men, Red Hair among horses. Obviously, we all know this classic yep. line from Romance of the Three Kingdoms, the multi-volume epic. No, no one here plays these games except me. I, pl- I played one. Which one? Uh, it was almost exactly five years ago because it was supposed to be my very first review for Polygon, and I couldn't find anything to say about it, yeah, so that got scrapped yeah, a little bit. But happens. I did play whatever came out almost exactly five years ago. It could have been any number of times. Dynasty Warriors something, something. I mean, I prefer Romance of the Three Kingdoms, which is the historical strategy series about this exact period. It's the actual problem. I could go into deep, deep detail about which of those are my favorites because that's the motherfucker I am. But anyway, Lu Bu, the unkillable guy that, like, destroys your entire army while you're off fighting some shitty underboss. Yeah, I beat him on Saturday. He was all right. He was kind of a mini boss. It wasn't a big deal this time. So Dynasty Warriors 9. Oh, okay. Here's let's actually have a Dynasty Warriors talk real okay. briefly. Okay. Real briefly. Dynasty Warriors as a series has been really weird because uh it's gone through a lot of changes that have not been clear to an outside perspective. Because how could it be all you're doing is hitting square and triangle a thousand times per minute to kill as many dudes as possible? But if you're like me, someone who's followed that series since since the first like fighting game, since like the one on one fighting game that was Dynasty Warriors one, that was just like a traditional side like I didn't realize yeah, one hundred percent. Dynasty Warriors two is what turns it into this kind of three D beat 'em up. Um, it, every couple of years, it reinvents itself as best as it can. <laughs> Sometimes it's a very minor change. Uh, it's more characters. It's different costumes. It's maybe a new combo system. Uh, sometimes it's a bit larger in terms of like the structure of what the game is. Um, Strategy elements and so such. So th- those tend to be like sub releases inside, right? So like the Empires sub series will come out for like Dynasty like Warriors Three Empires, Dynasty yeah. Warriors Five Empires. I like the Empires games quite a bit because they give you this like little. They give you something else to do besides to like care about as far as gaming goes. Besides just some orders, well, and you such. put out some orders yeah. and such. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and it's goofy and people have favorite characters it's a lot like a fighting game franchise or like uh an anime in that like everyone has their favorite series their favorite characters their favorite side they're all the different uh, empires uh it is, it is the romance of the three kingdoms they're kind of four major kingdoms throughout that period of time kingdoms, because one of them kind of evolves out of one of the other ones I see. um and at no point are the fourth one and one of the earlier ones kind of in the picture gotcha. at the same time really kind so of it's complicated three kingdoms, even though there's always a lighthouse there's always three kingdoms okay. there's always yep. stop it a strategist stop it. okay um stop warriors it. infinite right so here's the the real important thing is i think over the last like three or four years last three years i'd say koei koei tecmo has done a lot of experimenting inside of the space i think you can point at like high rule warriors is the first one to really mix it up in terms of, like, character abilities. I mean, that's not true. The Warriors Orochi series, which was, like, their weird mashup of samurai and dynasty warriors, where it was, like, samurai plus, like, ancient Chinese warriors together fighting demon lords. At last. Uh, finally. 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 Right. finally. So finally. Avengers, you fuck that. And, and this is what people were fi- waiting for. I know. For. I mean, those games all sell really well, as an important note. 
Oh, of course. People yeah, love these games. Absolutely. Uh, but in that series, they started messing around with things like tag-out systems, like Marvel style, but with Dynasty Warriors. And then by the time you get to Hyrule Warriors, they're doing special abilities a little bit differently. They're doing just different sorts of like mission objectives. And then they've done that with all of their spinoffs, except for Gundam, which has always been kind of bad, which obviously it's disappoints me. Spin-off. Dynasty Warriors Gundam has had four entries. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's wild. Um, but then there's like – they've done different anime ones. They've done the – Berserk one, I think, most recently. They did... What was that? They did the Fire, the Emblem, Fire Emblem one, one which last is, year. Which, okay, so the Fire Emblem one is a really great example. Fire Emblem one has the weapons triangle from Fire Emblem in it. So, like, spear units do better against uh, uh, sword units. Oh, interesting. The sword units huh. do better against axe units. Axe units do better against... against Spear units or whatever that whatever that triangle Tell is. Uh, there are Pegasi in in that game, and archers fuck them up. You know, like, and you can give directions in <laughs> right. that game. You can like say, "Hey, send my Pegasus troop here," and then like, "Oh no, they deployed an archer troop. That's not good. Got to pull them out." And you can jump around from different perspectives and like play the different named characters from the Fire Emblem universe. So like, that's another good example of that. Um, the uh, Dragon Quest Warriors that came out last year. Um, but you it was kind of like a, let you grind in like an open world a little bit and go out and fight random monsters in a, in a place around the town. They put out a game last year called uh, Story of Sonata, which is like a samurai warriors game, but with like a heavy character focus with like cutscenes, and it's all about the this one family inside of the samurai warriors uh, Sengoku Japan era warring states period. It's just about this one family and about like the relationship between parents and children and, and cousins and like who who are these people fighting for for their their clan and like so they've done all these experiments in a way that's made me super excited for dynasty warriors 9 up until recently here's all i knew about dynasty warriors 9 it was going to have an open world wow and it was going to have grappling hooks those and also i think 90 characters which immediately made me nervous that's too many characters (laughs) <laughs> nine characters with ten different like. No, I mean it isn't like there are. There's a little bit more differentiation than okay. that. Believe it or not, it's probably it's more like twenty five characters All with right. like four different variations. Okay. But or th- whatever it is, but oh, my 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 guess is their definition of open world maybe varied from what uh, uh, most people might think an open world one, means. Yes, two okay. um two the lack of focus on the the storytelling is like garbage tier is like and i'm coming from dynasty warriors to be clear like i'm saying as a person who it's garbage tier within yes, the expectations yes, of yes. dynasty so like, warriors the, like, <laughs> i will never forget and i'll probably write about this for my open thread this week what it what it meant the first time i saw lu bu in dynasty warriors 2 because lu bu was fucking unbeatable like there's a cutscene. lu bu comes out they tell you not to pursue lu bu you should not pursue lu bu and then you shouldn't but you no, do you shouldn't do it in the in dynasty oh, warriors 2 oh. he's set up to like auto heal Every time he not he gets knocked no. down a hundred percent, and he's a limited number of those. He's like thirty of those or something. But every time you knock him down, he can heal himself. And so young Austin was like, "All right, I'm going to win by never knocking him down. I'm just going to keep him up on his feet the whole time. I'm going to like reverse rope a dope him. You know what I wow. mean?" Uh, and so like I have this very clear memory of that being a really hard fight, and I like never beat it. I got it took me three years before I would actually be able to beat Lu Bu. And that was this moment of like, oh, no, I'm just going to go around him. What I'm supposed to do is just ignore him and go after the objective. Go kill Dong Zhuo, who is not a big deal. He's just a – Can you kill him yes, though? Yes, you can. You can. It was like this early okay. moment of like they took the text as real. Lu Bu is unbeatable or is he? If you really work at it, you can totally win that fight. So That's it's pretty a cool. pretty cool thing. And so like – through three, through four, there are all these moments of like fun, goofy storytelling. There's a dance number in one of them. There's oh, like, that's awesome. it's you know what it is. 
Dynasty Warriors, you know the Tekken endings? Like goofy ass. Yes. Dynasty Warriors uh-huh. inherited that sort of absurdity and humor. <laughs> and the in general, like those cutscenes looked about like what cutscenes should look like in a given platform era. Now, like I played this game for five or six hours, and there's like maybe one or two things that we would think of as a cutscene. Everything else is just like three or four or seven characters standing on a screen, walking in from stage left, walking out stage right, another different character. It's like a stage play, but on like really muddy textures, really bad backgrounds. Um, and yeah, as an open world goes, no, like there are fortresses. It's a map of the entire map of China. Like, Rob, it's like, it is like the Romance of the Three Kingdoms map of China, but you can walk around it or ride a horse around it to all the different cities. But it's not the thing you're thinking. It's not like... I'm thinking, holy shit, they made Mountain Blade. Right, it is, right, but they they don't do it like Mountain Blade because it's still, instead of being you're in the open, like, that is what I wanted. When they first pitched this to me, I wanted Mountain Blade, which was, like, procedural, like, I mean, it's a map, the map is set, but, like, all these different um, kingdoms are all fighting over everything, and you're just one soldier inside of it, and, like, how can you push and pull on these forces in order to let one of these kingdoms rise and take over? And that is not what it is at all. Mm. It's story missions with side quests that you fast travel around the map, there are towers you climb to add more icons to your map. No. There are there oh, are crafting good. materials no. all over the place. There are level uh, 28 bears you have to kill. It's oh, like no. they were like, what if Dynasty Warriors is made by like 2012 era Ubisoft? <laughs> but also, it's like also like 2015 era Ubisoft because it's super janky and broken. <laughs> the, it, I'm playing it on the PS4 Pro and I've had the frame rate drop to like 12, 10 frames. Mm. Um, it doesn't take up... I mean, that, ser- that series has always had frame rate this issues. This is worse than it's right? ever like, been historically. I'm okay. also playing All it on right. the PS4 Pro. Also, it doesn't take right. up the full screen. There's a, <laughs> and there's a black bar acro- around the entire... That, well, that explains... The- and I'm playing in action mode, not resolution mode. So that's bad. That, that means the game's technical shortcomings There's, are. Oh, dude, that's that's one of the few times. Like, I don't watch a lot of like the uh, Digital Foundry does excellent work, but I just am not usually particularly interested right. in watching like technical breakdowns. That's just not my thing. But occasionally, I do like to watch them. This sounds like the you kind should. of game where I might watch it's the technical bad. breakdown. And it's of so frustrating time. because. I can see the ambition on the page. It's cool. You can zoom out. You're getting notifications constantly of the battles that are happening across China as these forces move around. But, like, it sucks. Like, it's just not good. It feels bad. There's a new com- combo system that feels kind of cool. There's, like, c- counters in this game now that feel all right. Do but you like, think, like, the Dynasty Warriors B team got this one or something like it's that? It's Dynasty Warriors 9. I know. It's that's, the numbered it's, entry. It's weird. And I, so, like, I, I, here's, my, here's my guess is that... Uh, you know, there there has been this movement in the last like five years. We've seen like some Japanese game, like two of the most uh, 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 prime examples of uh, Japanese developers looking at like specifically Ubisoft, but generally like a Western push towards like you know like systems yeah. and, and, and systemic uh, integration and the in the what we usually associate with the term open world. Um, I think there's a lot of healthy skepticism that like Metal Gear was able to pull it right. off. And while Metal Gear doesn't have a whole ton of like systemic stuff happening in its world. It's a very successful open world in that vein. Yeah. Like it made the translation uh, very well, and Metal Gear Solid Five, like the story stuff, largely aside, like was a ton of fun to play and benefited it's from like really the nice bigger play, playground. It was it's put definitely into. like in that Far Cry genre space yes. of like I have these toys. The enemy is is kind of trying to counter those toys. How do I best like sneak around and, and set mines and trick them into doing bullshit? And it's fun. It's great. Right. So it, it found like how Metal Gear works 
in in that world. And then Nintendo also did it with Breath right. of the Wild last year. And so, uh, you know, there's precedent of it. Those working. two games did it. Those games did it pretty successfully and seemingly effortlessly. Dragon's Dogma. But I think it's like I just want to say, for instance, <laughs> throw that out. Dragon's Dogma. Sure, whatever that game didn't have, remember the fast travel in that game. They fixed Come on. That. And also, I like that. I'm the one who liked that not having that because I'm that motherfucker. I like it. I'm, I like it. I'm, I liked it on paper. <laughs> like when I would tell people, like I think it's cool if they did. But then I'd play <laughs> the game and go like, like just let me fucking fast travel. Like <laughs> the, the they fixed uh, it. But I'm just saying, like like it, it was made it seem seemingly effortless to like just drop these like traditional. Japanese games, fuse them with some Western open world uh, sort of mentality, and like poof, like you get like a brand new game. And like actually, the reality is like doing that shit's like really yeah. hard. And Dynasty Warriors may be like an example of just like you, you can't just necessarily plug and, totally. and play it. Like it, it, there's actually well, you know a lot but, of like heavy. And that was that was kind of my question for you, Austin. Is you're saying like I can see the ambition, but there's a line between like genuine ambition and then like commercial me tooism. Yeah, and like, does it feel like there's like sort of a heart and soul underneath this design, or does it literally feel like they just sort of Frankenstein together a bunch of like like old, uh, shabbily implemented Ubisoft <laughs> ideas, and then sort of like threw them into their game? The thing is, there is here's like I didn't even get to to how this d- is distinct from those games. So instead of picking. All right, so what I expected was actually a little bit more Ubisoft. I thought what I was getting was Romance of the Three Kingdoms uh, 7, 8, 10, or 12. I think 10 or 12, um, which were you can play as an individual officer in the world, and the world is going to move around you, and you can pledge loyalty to various warlords and, and kingdoms and, and like different, different you know, whoever, uh, dynastic heads, and you would end up being one soldier in their push. Instead, you have four distinct story modes, basically. Your story, like, uh, lanes. Yeah, basically. Each kingdom is basically one of the stories. And you go chapter by chapter, and in each chapter, you pick a character to play as. So instead of being one continuous playthrough, you're going to a chapter, you're getting the opening story cutscene, you're going in, you're doing a collection of, like, whatever, three main quests and six side quests or however many side quests you find and then you're done with that chapter. You see an ending cutscene. You move on to the next one. You pick a new character and you keep going. And so it doesn't have the Ubisoft continuity. You're not tracking, you know, Joe Yu through his entire arc. You're not following Lu Bu from Rise to Fall, right? Like you're you're picking a kingdom and going through its story. And to, to some degree, that's a cool way of telling that story. The past Dynasty Warriors games have done that where you're like, okay, I'm committed to the to the Wu family for life. You know, obviously, Wu-Tang, Wu-Tang. <laughs> uh, uh, descended mm. from Sun Tzu. Like, there's a whole... Mm. Ugh, it's so good. Um, but the mm. the in this, like, it, it, it feels so fractured. And it, the thing that it feels like it should be offering is the feeling of those earlier Romance of the Three Kingdoms games, which end up feeling sort of like Crusader's Kings 2. Like, what I want is this game, except it's Mountain Blade or Crusader Kings 2, but also then when instead of having, like, tactical battles, I'm killing a thousand people on a horse. That's all I want, Rob. <laughs> and also there's a grappling hook. The grappling hook should feel better. It's a grappling Aww. hook. Grappling hook should feel it's good up, in video games. It's not up to your games. standards? It's not up to my Aww. grappling hook standards. I just hit R1 and climb a building real quick. It's fine. Okay. It's fine. It's okay. fine. It's I'm not mad at all. <sighs> not mad. I'm just disappointed. Oh, Maybe the recent port of the latest Romance of the Three Kingdoms strategy game would make you feel better. Maybe we should play that together. I don't know. And like, it's not the kind that I like. It's fine. 
13 is it 13 wow. it's not there's odd number ones and even number ones there are different types of romance of the three kingdoms i'm not this isn't this... 18 b team i don't know I think you. So actually, the question ends up being like maybe the A team is off making these side games at this point. Maybe they're the ones like you get the Zelda license, you get the Fire Emblem license. You better put a good team on that. Nintendo's involved, so like maybe that is where it's at right now. Um, and that would just be a, a weird place. Yeah, just a know. theory. That's. I think that that's a fine theory at the very <laughs> least. Or you know what? Maybe it's the Tecmo side team. Like I don't. I don't know. I'm I'm curious what the future of Dynasty Warriors is because it ain't going anywhere. The series is too space. It's it's too big for it to to just disappear overnight. But I don't know. That's, I actually would be really interested. Sorry, I I please. said space, and that's like the pat answer. But I would be super interested in like a sci-fi. Like, how did the clans actually like expand on a they planetary did, level? They did. They one did this already. Oh, God. that was in their own sci-fi universe, and I can't remember what the name of it. Was Omega Force definitely made one? It had a really funny name. Whoa. Not Win Back though. They did make Win Back. Win Back. I forget what it was. It was an Xbox. I want to say it was an Xbox like one game um, that was like in a sci-fi world. I'm not gonna find it. Okay. The the game that this actually reminds me the most of in some ways is Blade Storm, which is another Koei Tecmo game okay. that three people have played. So I'm just gonna move on. We're gonna move yeah. on. Blade Storm. I like Bladestorm more. Bladestorm is a better version of, of Dynasty Warriors 9. There, I said it. Cool, cool. Before- I love little visits to Austin's Island of Misfit franchises. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> like That's the thing that's fucked with me as a person is like all of my favorite franchises are these things that are like not particularly well-loved um, e- but either are hyper-popular inside of a niche that is ignored or else are just not very good, honestly, but but strike an important and real core with me. Um, I understand about unloved games, you know, yeah. as, as you know, world's number one praise, Dan. It's fine. That's true. It's fine. That's Hi, true. Rob. I know you're Hey, look, me. people keep writing in. The movement is growing. Like, every week <laughs> there I get are two more- or three emails who are like, thank God you guys, yep. like, kept – like banging that drum because prey is how I met my real love. Prey. Yep. Wait. Yep. Okay. Got it. Um, very briefly because I we'll get into this more once more people have played it. I do also just want to shout out the game I'm actually most enjoying right now and that people should start getting excited for. I think which is Into the Breach, um, which is the new game by Subset, uh, who made FTL a few years ago, uh, way more than a few years ago now. Yeah, it was like 2014 or something It was like before that, right? that even. FTL might have been like 2013? 2012. Oh. Uh, I think 2010 mm. it came to that – it came to OnLive in That's 2010 right. or 2011. If you all remember OnLive, that on game live. streaming service, mm-hmm. they had it as an exclusive, like a beta build of it. Um, but yeah, that released in Good. 2012, which was six, five and a half years ago, let's say. Um, Into the Breach is a tactical run-based – uh, uh, mecha kaiju RPG, uh, tactical RPG, um, in the vein of obviously Pacific Rim is like a really good touchstone here, where you have a squad of three mechs, uh, and every what you do is you have a squad of three mechs, and there is an island, and you go to the island. The island has some sectors on it, and you go to defend those little sectors. Cool. And so each sector is a procedurally generated map, single screen map. You're not exploring a lot of space. You just see the map right away. Your mechs drop down. Little people in the buildings go like, oh, the Rift Walkers are here to save us or whatever squad name you have. Um, And you're given five turns to survive. If a building gets hit, your life bar goes down. You have like a a power grid. Um, Your your individual mechs all have life bars too and they have pilots. And if the pilots live, 
rad, they get XP, and they can level up and unlock new abilities. If they die, they're replaced by AI that can't level up anymore. Mm. And a lot of this game opens up as you unlock more mechs because what you learn is they have status abilities and power, um, like uh, movement powers where it's a lot of like – it's very cinematic and, and uh, choreographed feeling in, in terms of what its combat is. So like one of my favorite mechs right now has a – uh, an ability to uh, do like an electricity whip that does damage to anything it is connected to what you're whipping, right? And it has an upgrade Excellent. that lets it pass that electricity through buildings without harming them. So there is uh, a moment where it's like six enemies on screen. My other mechs do things like move the other uh, enemies around. Like they, they like have the ability to like do knockback damage basically. And so there was a moment where I knocked back two enemies – across the, the two different sides of the map so they were next to buildings and my dude with the whip whipped an enemy near him and the electricity like surged through the entire map and hit the enemies on the other side and it's just this incredible moment of like tactical storytelling that I haven't seen in the game since like for me since Invisible Ink in terms of like what, how, do, how the fuck do I get out of this situation Rob That's an important question there yeah um, just in terms of like the, the sort of trade-offs you made in that interaction yeah I thought you said you didn't want the buildings to get hit. Yeah, I had an upgrade. But there so you knocked them. No, so I knocked them next to the building. You can also okay. knock them into a building to do damage, right? Like you can do yeah. knockback damage into a building, which does damage. You, your the grid, the power grid loses a point. Um, the power grid is like the hole in in FTL. Like okay. that's the thing okay. you want to like keep fixed up and and keep the defenses keep up on around. it. Um, I don't want to talk again too much about it. I'm going to talk. We'll talk more about it in the future because I think it's like genuinely. It's the first time that I've had that moment that made me love uh, Invisible Ink so much a few years ago, which is just like, fuck, there's no way out of this. How the I, – I can't win this one. And then you like see something and it clicks in your head that like, oh, I can do – I can use this to pull this and I can create this other <clears> effect. <throat> very chess-like, very chess puzzle in that way but mm-hmm. like also giant robots and giant go. bugs that you fight. With the Austin Rift Walkers. With the Austin Rift Walkers. That That's you, the, the default yeah. The default name good. for the first squad is the Rift Walkers. I didn't Is the it. spectacle good? Like does it feel like weighty and good like kaiju mecha or? Yeah, I think so. I mean like it's it's sprite it's sprite based art. It looks like FTL. Ooh. It's like a yeah. cute like vibe. Um, I like it. I like it a whole bunch. I think that like it communicates. You know what it communicates? It doesn't necessarily communicate like um, size because you're it's just like an isometric uh I mean, a tactical RPG, but it does communicate like momentum really well. Like you get a good thing, like a a dash punch with one of your mechs, and like they just like sprint across the entire thing super quick and do like a good piece of knockback uh, damage that sends them into a mountain or something. Sends the the a giant ant or a giant like slug creature into a mountain. It feels yeah. good. That that stuff works really well. Um, and a lot of the a lot of the stuff around the edges in terms of the fiction and the, the character design is all really dope. So. Uh, look forward to that later this month. That's like the 27th, I want to say, it got dated for. So. That's the end of the month. Yeah, it's, it's the end month. of the month. So so look forward to that. That's that's the only other thing I've really been playing besides disappointing Dynasty Warriors 9. Oh, um, I have I have a shout-out Sure, as please. Well. Yes. I played a game that I really liked, and it's from somebody who has made a bunch of games that I've really liked. Sean Hantani. Uh, he what made, else has he made? He's made Anodyne, oh, which you I love. love Anodyne. Love, love, love. And also Even the Ocean, which I also super loved. Those were with uh, Joni Kitaka, and this is mm-hmm. one of his. It's not totally solo. But he okay. made like an almost solo project, a 3D game. It has very like PlayStation One era graphics, 
very, very abstract, very, very pretty, I think. And it's a game actually about, I'll just tell you the premise, it's about a Japanese-American dude who finds out his father is dying, his estranged father is dying. Huh. And it's sort of this like sci-fi, but also semi uh, supernatural premise where he gets to kind of go inside his head and live through some of his memories. Oh, interesting. Some of his sort of dying memories. Uh, and it goes into a lot of uh, aspects of sort of Asian American identity. It goes cool. very, very hard. You've written on about this for things. the site, right? Yeah, I, I wrote a, a, a piece about it interviewing Sean. Uh, just a really thoughtful, really beautiful game. I love the way this looks. I do too. It has I am like all about such it. a cool. Like we haven't seen a ton of things in this like PS One retro yeah. style yet. Um, it's it has felt like we've been on the brink of those for the last you few know years, few yeah. years basically. Yeah, there's been there's been like a couple uh, like Silent Hill, yes. like a lot of there's been a couple of horror games that have like tried to uh, pick up on like the Silent Hill One aesthetic, but like we haven't. It feels like the PlayStation One. We are start, in the next couple of years. We're going to be hitting an era in which there were a lot of people that grew up on the PlayStation yeah. as their like primary piece of nostalgia, as opposed to I think uh, not that like pixel art games will go away. Like the simplicity, mm-hmm. like there's a lot of reason for people to use pixel art. But I wonder if soon we're going to start seeing like more people pick up the PlayStation One aesthetic because that's like, hey, that's actually my nostalgia is like right. early like. Uh, polygonal yeah. uh, 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 3D games, um, which I'm I am I am in, into that. Like I started on the the SNES, but PlayStation One was definitely part like a huge part of my growing up. And so like, yo, give me give me some more PlayStation One style games. I am. There's I'm also here something I think really special in these in this design that I think all our Asia's hits, which is. Uh, okay, sp- sprites and, and 2D-based art can obviously become very abstract and you can do yeah. really experimental stuff with it. I'm not saying that you can't. But by to do that in that space, it feels like – and this is just from my observation – what you're doing is going out of your way to draw art, to create art that looks abstract and strange. Yes. Um, but that the prominent form, if you're just trying to – if you're trying to make games that look like games that came out on the SNES or the, the Sega Genesis or the TurboGrafx, there is a certain sort of absurdity to them that comes just from like video games and yeah. like jumping on enemy heads and all that shit. That's all – It's harder to take it seriously if you want to tell sure, like a totally. more grounded or emotional story. Like there are some games that get away but, with it but like they got to do right. a lot of heavy but lifting. But the PS1 yeah. stuff is like – PS1 games just look wild. Like, if you go look at what PS1 games looked like <laughs> randomly, you will find stuff that looks like experimental art, just that it was just regular games. It was just <laughs> like, oh, this is an action shooter, but it looks wild because there wasn't a lot of, like, draw distance, because there was a heavy use of fog to, to because the of that fog distance. The language wasn't set at that point. Right, exactly. Which is amazing. And so, like, yeah. a game like this, one of the things that's interesting is, like, Yes, I can tell that this is like an experimental or or kind of, kind of has, has a sort of avant-garde uh, approach to storytelling in our space. Game, it's a very personal yeah. game. It's trying to do things that that are. Um, it is trying to do things that are that, that it put expression, visual expression, at a at a premium in terms of like its design and stuff like that. But also, it does just look like this could be an RPG. Squaresoft could have put this out yeah. uh, in terms of its like <laughs> visuals, or like it could have been in the in the Shin Megami Tensei series That's or something like that. That's one of his like main that. inspirations, actually. There you was, go. Yeah, Nocturne, totally. I think actually. Right, yeah, Nocturne is a great example. It's a PS2 game, but like I think still had that very that incredible like, very... the lighting and just sort of how yes. really sort of theatrical and stagey a lot of exactly. And so cool. though, it's one of the reasons why I'm interested in seeing like PS1 style throwback graphics is like. Hey, a lot of those games just look weird and and in a way that just trying to replicate the look will allow uh, game developers to, to enter this kind of 
interesting yeah. kooky space. Sean so. had a lot of really cool uh, thoughts about that as well. And he, he's he's sort of a musician by trade and a designer by trade. And he's not like a 3D artist. And he said, like, mm-hmm. look, these are simple tools that allow me to really get evocative. And I also just really like the way this looks. I think it's very warm. And it's something I've sort of struggled with. I'm making like a just, you know, tiny little thing that's mm-hmm. supposed to be a little bit of a serious story. But doing a walk animation in sprite art is right. like the worst thing to try to make it look serious. So I completely, right. just even in my own little tiny experimentations, I'm seeing exactly what he was talking about with this by making sort of your player avatar is just sort of this little globe with right. petals, right? And all the, the people that you see are very simple sort of 3D sort of figures. It's There's no talking animation or anything right. like that. But you get a real sense of things. And he also said something along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing, but – you know, people can actually sort of use their imagination to fill in the blanks, and that's right. way more evocative than, oh, I made this beautiful, perfectly rendered 3D mm-hmm. face or something. Totally. So that was really cool. All Our Asias, it's it's really rad. It's actually a free game. People want to try cool. it out. And if you Is really that... dig it, it's uh, there's like a $5 like fan pack. You get the soundtrack and this actually really cool book that goes into the making of the game and oh, how awesome. it came about all of his art choices. Right. It even has like all the Ableton like tables oh, that's for rad. every song. That's really which cool. Is really cool. So. That's really cool. Awesome. Yeah, it's uh, is there like an Itchio link? Is that the kind yeah? Of... It's Itchio and Steam actually. Awesome. Um, I I got an Itchio. Uh, all our Asia's yeah. multiple multiple Asia's. Yes. Because because that is how the world is. Yep. That's accurate. <laughs> yes. Uh, cool. Awesome. And again, you wrote about that on the site waypointvice.com. Uh, let's dip into the question bucket real quick and, and maybe hit a couple of these real quick, and then we will be out for the day. Let us start with this one from Sean. Hey, Waypointers, if you have a question, gamingadvice.com, obviously. You can send your question. Use the subject question. Because of your coverage, Sean says, I've recently picked up XCOM 2, War of the Chosen, and found myself having a great time with it. I was particularly impressed by the Lost, XCOM 2's ability to translate the feeling of being overwhelmed by a horde of zombies and being dependent on your aim and the amount of bullets left in your gun into the turn-based tactical format of the XCOM series was surprising and well thought out. My question is, can you think of any other examples of games that managed to successfully translate a feeling or style, be it from games or other media, into a gameplay format you would not be, uh, you wouldn't expect would be capable of it? Like... I feel like all our ages does. You just did this. Yeah, yeah. we just talked yeah, about all It feels all our like ages. super pertinent, actually, because it, it does feel very warm and it feels like exploring a very abstract space. So it does. It does that, that sort of translation into yeah. games that you wouldn't traditionally think of. Yeah, you have like, like a mind in a dream world. It right. actually feels like that. It evokes that in a very, you know, very interesting and cool awesome. way. Awesome. My favorite weird example of this, welcome to the Austin Walker niche game space, <laughs> uh, is Evil Zone, the PS1 fighting game that presents all of its characters as different anime heroes. It's like, it's like anime tropes, right? So it's like, oh, this is like the the Power Ranger stand-in. This is the, like, the fighting action hero stand-in. Um, blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, this is the magic magical girl show, like, character, basically. But each of them in the single-player story mode, each fight was broken up by episode bumpers uh, as if they were, like, going to commercial breaks. And then, like, an intro and an outro that is, like, from a fake anime. And so it takes what is like a really boring, straightforward, bad fighting game, mediocre. I like that game a lot. Uh, and and dresses it up. Uh, it's bad. I like it's it a mediocre. lot. I like I that game a lot. I don't think the design, I don't think that the combat 
It's in my top ten. It might be it's my favorite game of all 20. time. It's in why my don't people it's, it, think peace? Why don't more people play I don't think Evil Zone? Else should play it unless you're me. In which case, you should play it more often to remember why you like video games yeah. to begin with, right? Like yeah. that's the thing with weird games like this for me is like I go through the year and have like an okay time with ninety five percent of games, and often get to December and I'm like, why the fuck do I even have a top ten list? And the answer is because like every now and then you get to play an Evil Zone or a Dragon's Dogma. So look up Evil Zone. That is my answer here, which is like I didn't – I played a lot of fighting games. None of them had communicated the bullshit feeling of anime to me. Evil Zone did it. Rob, Patrick, a game in which – any games in which they, they translate a genre or style into a, into, a, a, into a gameplay format as a genre that you wouldn't think of, that they could do it. The question is like about something so ineffable that I'm having a hard – you know what I mean? It's like – yeah, I'm having to recall a feeling of surprise. Yeah, that something that I can't even fully articulate was then translated into uh, a medium, and I'm I'm racking I'm racking my brain uh, and failing. I mean, I, I don't know. Is this does this answer the question to say uh, I think there were a lot? This was uh, I mean, whatever. The way I dunk on anime, uh-huh. like hopefully people obviously realize like a lot of that oh, is just a like bit. a You're joke, a bit, but. but. Yes, um, but so it's like I wonder. Like last year, I think a lot of people got into mm. Near Automata and really liked the story, probably not realizing that that calling that game anime is both uh, funny and also like true. Like of how many like that it's very like that had a very anime style of storytelling that people found like very touching and evocative and emotional. And so, like, it's very difficult to hold two right. two thoughts in your head at one time, which is, like, anime is bad, but, but also, also Nier Automata is good. Um, actually, it's more just that, like, like a lot of things, a lot of anime is bad, and then there are the stuff, if you like, that is good. <laughs> so I wonder if, I, I wonder if, like, that gets at a different way, which is, like, a, a form of storytelling that, like, a lot of people would uh, largely be dismissive mm-hmm. of. But if, if given the right vehicle, you can actually realize some of the things that you would like about it if maybe you dropped a little bit of, like, your presumption about what it is yeah. or isn't. Uh, my other big answer here is Starbound, which is a 2D game like Terraria, um, where your Terraria is like a is like a 2D version of Minecraft. You're you're digging, you're building things, you're collecting materials, you're fighting ore. Um, but then also Terraria and Starbound both have like fighting in them in a in a big way where you're crafting cool weapons and special special items and stuff. And the thing that Starbound does, the feeling that it that it promotes, that I never thought that this genre, this kind of like 2D exploration and crafting game like the kind of always in previous games was like oh you're on this one planet is like space hopping space opera yeah. with like all of these different like sci-fi space alien cultures and you're piecing together a bigger picture about what the what happened in the universe as you go from place to place like there aren't that many uh there aren't that many um worlds that you or, or like species or cultures and yet it feels like a big universe even though you're seeing everything from this 2D plane. So I dig that. That's it's that's a, cool. that is one that I wish I had more time to go back to. Um I think there's one more, but we're gonna save this for next time, I think, because I think it's a little meatier than than can fit in a single in a single They had a lot of meat on this podcast bones. Very meaty, like. meaty bones. Do they have any meaty bones at your mini golf place? Oh yeah. What was what, what why I mean you don't it's not it's... A meaty bone is what I need to start grinding oh, for. Yeah. And, uh, it's Monster Hunter High in order to get bone. that level, get that level three. I think level four ice hammer. Yo, the ice hammer looks I'm super unfucking believable in that since... game. It's got huge ass spikes coming out of it. Just, uh, take that, Diablos. Does Diablos hate ice. 
No, I think that would be actually Anjanath, and Anjanath would be. <laughs> he's a fire. He's a fire. What's Diablo so, say? I want to get yeah. this chart up. Get we should charts. go. Have you already get killed all these things? 70 times. Yeah, but you got to fight him a bunch yeah. of times. You got to fight him a bunch of. Canonically. Do they get harder each time? They do get harder once. Uh, well, there's high. They get, yeah, they get harder once. There's low rank and high rank. So basically, like, there's a low rank version of the game, where which is basically like onboarding you, and then high rank is like they get a lot more aggressive and push you around and. They change like their behaviors and when is G rank so. coming? That's what I. That's what the oh. internet wants to know. There's a higher rank in the previous Monster Hunter games called G rank. You have to be a true G to play G rank. <laughs> Monster Hunter G. And uh, I want to know if it's coming. A, a true, true gamer. gamer? The is G the gamer for, rank? Yeah. If you ever listen to old hip hop and someone talks about real Gs, they're talking about gamers. FYI. Yep. yep. G, G unit. Gamer unit. Mm-hmm. Yo, Fitty, hit that big ass <laughs> ramp. As Lloyd Banks would say. All right, that's going to do it for us today. I'm Austin Walker. Follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Austin underscore Walker. Danielle, where can people find you? At Danielle or I, or also at Shipwrecked Minigolf. At Shipwrecked Minigolf. Find Danielle. <laughs> the new manager <laughs> over at the Shipwrecked you know, Minigolf. I'm, uh, you know, I'm auditioning EMT. for the next uh, oh, post. Gonna the, you know, uh, I'm going to be the next uh, you know, character be the pirate? in the well, Everyone's got to have a... Everyone has to have a plan B. I get it. Listen, you know um, I mean? no harm, no foul. Rob Zachney, where can people find you? At Rob Zagney on Twitter. No B, no B plan for you. No backup plan. No, the no. Okay. My name is my name. Got you. I got you. Good. Good on you. Did you finish that fucking series yet, Rob? The Wire. Oh wow, he can't hear He's suddenly. Done. He's he can't done. hear. Oh weird. The connection's getting pretty spotty. Sorry guys. <laughs> okay. Good. Patrick. You can follow me All at right, Patrick. As always, you can follow the whole show, everybody here, twitter.com slash waypoint, facebook.com slash waypointvice. Follow everything we do at waypoint.vice.com. Shout out to Bowen for letting us use the track Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Find out more about that at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. And as always, come talk to us, discourse.zone for our forums. It's going to do it for us this week. Danielle, what do we say to him? Be good and be good at it. Peace. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.